0: Our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day to be alive and breathing, courtesy of your grace and mercy. Father, we ask that you help us never become familiar with your great mercy towards us, those who deserve eternal punishment, even, but your mercy has flooded poured the penalty away through the blood of your Son. We're forever grateful for this. Help us every day. Thank you for your salvation. Father, we also pray for those who are sick and struggling in our congregation, in our family. We ask that you help them, especially spiritually, to be at peace and acceptance. With your cross for them to bear. We ask, Father, that you guide us and direct us by your Spirit this evening. Help us understand your word as it is a supernatural thing. We ask all these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of your Spirit we pray. Amen. What is good and who gets to define it? Part 15. So as we continue our search for what is good, we've talked about really loving like Jesus the last couple lessons, really loving like Jesus. Obviously that's one thing that's clearly good, and even though none of us would argue that, we do challenge it in our souls. We actually fight against it in our lives. Just think about that. God's love is active. If we've learned anything over the last few years, it's that. It's one of the few key points, if you will, that the spirits have been emphasizing. God's love is an active love. In fact, love is a verb, right? It it actually entails some type of doing. And yet, we resist it because it takes sacrifice and humility. And even... Humiliation at times. Why would we resist loving like Jesus? Why? But that doesn't make sense, right? But we do. Because loving like Jesus involves some personal sacrifice and pain and discomfort and embarrassment. Especially if you're going to love your enemies. I mean, who's, who's honestly willing to be humiliated? And if you say you are, while you're here in this classroom in a peaceful setting without any enemies in your vicinity, think about if you're willing to accept humiliation or embarrassment in a public situation, even if you're innocent. What's our first reaction when we're unjustly accused of something, let's say, in front of other people? Go on the defense, right? We're defensive. We get defensive. Why? Our pride is harmed. Don't let someone talk to me that way. Right? And you may be innocent in the situation. But is that the response that God is looking for? Is that loving like Jesus? You might be put in a situation where you're called to accept humiliation or embarrassment. For example, what does loving our enemies look like? what does it look like? Love is a verb, right? It's, a, it's an action. What does loving our enemies look like? This is one of the key ways of loving like Jesus that we talked about. If love involves action and if God's love is something that is lived out, how does it manifest itself in our lives, in our actual daily functioning interaction with people? How does God's love manifest itself in our lives? And what does it look like? And this is helping us answer the question, what is good? And only God gets to define it. So let's see what our God and Savior said, how he defined loving our enemies. What does it look like? Because it looks like something, because love doesn't just sit there on a shelf. Love actually does something. What does it look like? Turn again to Luke six twenty-seven. <clears throat> we actually did not read this whole passage uh, on Sunday, but we're going to read a good amount of it in context. And only God did, gets to define what is good. Only God gets to define what love really is. And how we, here we have the God-man speaking to us about this f- so important subject to him. Luke six twenty seven. But I say to you who hear, stop right there. I say to you who hear, are you willing to hear about the sacrifice this is going to take? Like right now, are you bracing yourself? Are you willing to accept whatever he's about to say about this subject? You might close your ears right now, I don't know. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also, and whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. "'Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. "'If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? "'For even sinners love those who love them. "'If you do good to those who do good to you, "'what credit is that to you? "'For even sinners do the same. "'If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, "'what credit is that to you? "'Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. "'But love your enemies.' and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. I don't know about you, but the first thing I think of when I'm with my enemy is not to give them money <laughs> or give them my belongings off my back even, right? Your shirt, your jacket. That's opposite what we think is appropriate. But again, love your enemies and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. There's a big one for some of us because in our pride we are offended easily. We're offended, offended when maybe someone doesn't actually let, pay us back when we lend to them, but they don't even say thank you. How could they not even say thank you? are we so easily offended? And the problem here is this is with an enemy. So with an enemy, who in most cases uh, is an unbeliever. How can we be offended at their um, ignorance? They don't have capacity to see. Do you get mad at a blind man for not seeing? So again, look at it. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Who is he kind to? Ungrateful and evil men. Men that won't even stop and say thank you. Forget a payback. God, our Father, is like that and was like that to you and I. We'll get to that again. But I'm sorry to break this to your flesh. This is what good looks like in God's eyes. This is what mercy looks like. Remember the mercy and kindness God treated you with. I was thinking about it during Sunday's lesson how we hear the phrase love your enemies, we read this passage In Luke 6.35, for example, love your enemies and do good, right? And we automatically, at least I do, I automatically think of evil people. Love your enemies. Well, that's someone that's evil, probably an unbeliever, right? Without the love of God. How come we don't think about ourselves when we hear love your enemies? Because from God's point of view, we were all his enemies at one point, and he loved us. Just something to think about. In Romans 5, while we were enemies, Christ died for us. So when you think of love your enemies, maybe don't think of people that are overtly evil or against you. Think of the fact that you were that person at one point to God. So we have to ask ourselves humbly, why do we want to live on a one-way street? Why is it good for us but not good for others to receive? Why, because they're undeserving? Hmm. Look in the mirror. And why do we forget our past so easily? Why do we forget where we came from so easily? This is why daily, one reason, daily prayer is so important. Remember where you came from. Remember what God saved you from. The disgusting sinners that we are in whatever way that is. For each of us. But on the board, the endless forgiveness we've received as God's enemies at one time, that should be our motivation. And that can make loving our enemies easy. That's where the power to be merciful comes from, God's love for us, as in 1 John 4, 10 and 19. You say, how can I love my enemies? How can I love someone that spits in my face, who embarrasses me publicly in front of others, and I'm innocent to top it off? How can I love them? Well, you can't. You lack the power. But if you tap into God's power, the power to be merciful comes from God's love for you. So when we forget God's love for us and his mercy toward us, that it's difficult to love. Maybe you have to think of the day you were saved. Uh, Maybe you have to think of one of the worst sins you ever committed and how God forgave you and maybe even a, a believer in your vicinity forgave you, flat out forgave you, even though you just did something really nasty. Maybe you have to recall that experience and the reality of that. Because that kind of love is what makes it easy to love our enemies. Makes it easy to be merciful to others that don't deserve it. So again on the board, the endless forgiveness we've received as God's enemies at one time should be our motivation and can make loving our enemies easy. That's where the power to be merciful comes from. God's love for us. As soon as we take our eyes off of God's love for us and God's mercy toward us, loving is so hard, so difficult. But when it's on God's love for you and forgiveness for you and mercy to you, it's easy. You have no choice. Um, You don't want another choice. You're like, I'm going to pass this right on. I'm not holding on to this, holding back on this. Um, That would be extremely dumb and unappreciative of God's mercy. So the general idea, as in 1 John 4, is that we love because he first loved us. That's the only reason we love, that's the only way we have the power to love. Because he first loved us. That's what changes the heart of a believer. When when somebody accepts God's love for them, accepts God's forgiveness for them, realizes that's the reality of the way God's approaching you, even. Our Father is merciful to evil and ungrateful men, including myself. And that's power. That's divine power. So this isn't difficult. We make it difficult. It's actually easy and simple. So turn to 1 John 4, verse 7. 1 John 4, 7. And we're going to read a passage here in context. Uh, You might be familiar with it, but open your heart a little bit here. Open your mind. Ask the Spirit to show you what He wants you to know right now. So open up your heart, so to speak. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. Think about that statement in verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. But what he's basically saying is you can see God, and God is in you if you love one another. His Spirit, His very Spirit, has come alive in you. So you may not have seen Him, but you've seen Him. When you've seen his love, either in yourself or another believer. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God... There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. In this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Whoever believes, chapter 5, verse 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Why aren't His commandments burdensome? Because love is our motivation. And in verse 4, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Faith in what? Him, right? Who is He? He's love. And look again at 1 John 4, 16. What's it say? We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. So on the board, let us never forget, while we were enemies, God forgave you and showed you mercy. You, humble servant of God, freely pass it on. This is good in God's eyes as in Romans 5, 8, and 10. It's a pretty simple formula. In fact, it requires childlike faith. A kid could get this so easily because he's not getting in the way, and he's like, did something wrong? Wow, you forgave me? Wow, that's awesome. I'm going to forgive you, too, because he forgave me. It's when we think too much... (laughs) And we rationalize, and we get our pride involved, and we don't want our pride to get, you know, feathers ruffled and embarrassed in front of other people, for example. That's when we fail at this simple thing God is asking us to pass on. God forgave you and showed you tremendous mercy. So you, as a humble servant of his, should freely pass it on. And that's good in God's eyes. And God doesn't just tell us he loves us. That's not God's love. God doesn't just tell us he loves us. God's love is something that's demonstrated. It's been demonstrated to you. It's been demonstrated to the whole world. But God's love is something that's demonstrated. There's an action that you can see Uh, Good actions always accompany God's words. Romans 5.8 on the board. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. No greater demonstration of love than someone dying for you. So if we're truly and properly overwhelmed by the forgiveness we've received, that humility should make it easy to love our enemies. Depends if you remember it. Depends if you have faith in his love for you. And when we don't love our enemies, when it seems difficult, that's simply our flesh getting in the way and rationalizing things and getting defensive about unfair humiliation. Hmm. We're not going to be free We're not going to experience the freedom God wants until we stop caring about what we look like in front of others and what people think of us. And we won't be able to show His love like this. So it takes true humility, as we've been learning, to get to this place. And it takes uh, remembering the love and forgiveness and mercy He's shown you. I mean, when you think of those things, what do you have to stand on? When you think about all the things you've been forgiven of, what do you have to be proud about? We still do it. We let the flesh intercede. We forget about the forgiveness and the mercy we've been shown. But we have no reason to even be humiliated or embarrassed, like ever. But just something to think about. So we basically have to stop acting like jerks. I put this in my notes a couple days ago, and um, it was harsher than that. And the Spirit had me soften it a bit. But we have to stop acting like jerks. Even if we're dealing with our enemies, who are we to hold back demonstrating God's love and mercy that we've been shown? Who are we? Who do we think we are to do that? We're getting in the way of God's love flowing through us, putting a cork in the bottle. Who are we to do that? So our Lord, he wants us to abide in his love, period. Abide in my love, he says. That means he wants us to be love. That means he wants us to be in his love. At all times, exist in it. Swim in it. Breathe it in. It's part of your daily sustenance, the air you breathe. Because that's who you are in Christ. And we've all got that battle between the old and the new nature. Till the day we die, our flesh taunts us, tempts us. But think about who you are in Christ. Think about the new nature you've been given. That's who you are in Christ. You are in union with Christ, who is love. You've received His love through faith. So be in it. Swim in it. Don't get out of the pool, so to speak. There's no reason to. Enjoy it. God's given it to you freely. Like, stay right here. Stay right here. This is a really good place, isn't it? Stay right here. People are going to attack you. If you stay right here, you're going to be fine. You can pass it on. You don't care about what you look like to other people or embarrassment or pride. If God is love and you are in God, which you are if you're a believer, you're in Christ, then you can be love too. If God is love and he's in you and you're in him, You can be love. You don't have to try to do it. Just exist in it. This has been a running theme, too, the Spirit's given us. On the board, John 15, verse 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in or stay in my love. That's what the Greek means, abide in my love. And look at, just look at these words here, folks. I mean, it's not rocket science, but it's deep. John 59, Jesus said, just as the Father has loved me. Think about that. I've also loved you the same way. It's overwhelming. And he says, abide in that love. Stay in that love. As Pastor often says, reside in the sphere of God's love. Live there. Don't leave. Stay. It's a sphere. It's like an all-encompassing bubble that you can live in that you don't have to leave. On the board, we saw how this should affect every aspect of our lives. To love like Jesus is to possess a love that permeates every aspect of life. It isn't just a passing emotional response, it is much, much bigger. It is on the same plane with eternal life, for God is both love and eternal life. 1 John 4, 8, 1 John 5, 11 through 12. God is these things. We can be them too, because he's in us. So this is God's love we've been talking about, right? This is part of what is good for sure. But in the world, love is treated like a volatile commodity that can be exchanged whenever you want. Like something we can give and take back at will. But that's because the world's love is a selfish love. We can't compare the two. As came out on Sunday, God's love never ends. It can't be destroyed or snuffed out like worldly love can. Love never fails in First Corinthians 13. So on the board, we might say God's love stays. God is calling us, His believers, His adopted children, who have been rescued from the orphanage of sin and brought into His palace of forgiveness. He's calling us to stay in that love, that love that forgave us, that rescued us, even though we were totally unworthy. Stay in his love. And that includes freely passing it on in mercy whenever the opportunity arises. It shouldn't even matter who. If you're going to love your enemies, that's everybody, right? Friends, acquaintances, enemies. There's nobody excluded from this. There shouldn't be any um, artificial limits we put on it. I'll I'll forgive that enemy, but not this one, because he's the worst, you know. Pass it on freely. Forgive freely like he forgave you freely. We are to stay in and live in the sphere of God's love. We're not to fall for the lies of the world the ones we've bought from TV and movies for so many years, convincing us that love is something else, like volatile, selfish, and superficial. And we see all these visual aids, visual aids on the big screen of what love looks like according to the world. And we've been, been suckered to buy those lies. But God's love goes so, it's, it's totally different. It's not even similar. It's totally different. It's totally perfect. It's, it demonstrates self-sacrifice, not selfish love. It demonstrates love even when you're embarrassed or humiliated, like Jesus was. Totally opposite of the world's kind of love, which again is volatile, selfish, and superficial. So you have to decide. Even as believers, we have to decide if we want the stability and truth of God's love, or do we want this other version of love that the world offers—that uh, we can, we can, you know, come and go as we please. We can be picky. We can be in control, uh, but basically, we can be selfish. And God's like, it's not what I want for you. It's so I have such a different wonderful place for you to reside, to abide, to stay in. Again, on the board, God's love stays. He's calling us, his believers, his adopted children who have been rescued from the orphanage of sin and brought into his palace of forgiveness. He's saying, stay in that love that I showed you. Stay in that love. And that includes freely passing it on in mercy whenever possible. But this involves an ongoing faith in God's love for you. You're not going to have the power to love this way unless you believe on a regular basis, increasing even, that God loves you this dearly, this mercifully. And again, that's where daily prayer and reading the word comes in, because you'll forget so quickly. And it re- requires also denying what the world is trying to feed you regarding love. So why we've got to be careful. Um, we have to open our eyes to the fact that the God of this world has trained us from childhood to be selfish lovers. And we have to want to want God's way. We have to choose to want God's way. That might take some prayer and some uh, enablement by the Holy Spirit. But on the board, we're naturally selfish lovers. If a person lacks love, they lack the constitution to stick around when times get tough. Selfish lovers are easy to spot. They are the ones who turn their backs on you when you're down and out. They lack mercy because their love is always about them, not others. If they're not getting anything in return, I'm out of here. It's totally, again, the opposite of God's love, which is sacrificial. I'm going to do for someone else's benefit, even though I'm going to get fill in the blank in this situation. So God's love stays, and that's where he wants us to stay. On the board again, to love like Jesus is to possess a love that permeates every aspect of life. It isn't just a passing emotional response, which is kind of like the world's love. It's much, much bigger. It's on the same plane with eternal life, for God is both love and eternal life. The sphere, again, think of that sphere that you're in, that you can stay in if you want to stay in. And it's a place of peace and love, and you don't even care about yourself and how you look in front of others, even your enemies that want to embarrass you. You can stay there if you want to stay there and have peace. As the Spirit brought out on Sunday, if a person is void of God's love, if they are void of eternal, that means they are void of eternal life and therefore void of God in First John 4 and 5. So we see in those chapters that love is the evidence. A person's love for others testifies to their salvation even, as John talks about. And this love that a believer has, this, this love of God that we're, we're uh, trying to live in, let's say, for lack of a better phrase, this love of God that we're trying to realize and believe that he has that for us, so that we can then have the power to pass it on. It's not going to be perfect in us as believers, but the believer desires to love like God loved him. The believer's heart has changed, right? I can't believe God loved me this way. I can't believe he forgave that sin. Oh, and I hate remembering that one. And, you know, there's probably a few key ones that you're like, wow, you never should have forgiven me for that one. These things should overwhelm us. We should be allowing them to overwhelm us. And that's the believer's heart, because he has accepted God's love and forgiveness for him through Christ. So he's not going to love perfectly. That's not the point of this, but these are characteristics of a believer. They will be evident within a believer. And since you're still in 1 John, I believe, right, First John five let's go to first John five, eleven and twelve, which we also read on Sunday. And the testimony is this that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. What life? What was his life like? God demonstrated his own love toward us, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This life is in his Son. He's given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. So the Lord is telling us that his brand of love and mercy is certainly part of what is truly good, and it's evident by action and demonstration, by sacrifice even. And doing good to your enemies, as we read about. It doesn't say just love your enemies, like up here. Love your enemies and do good to them and lend. So a great picture of our Lord's life right there. And we're going to change gears a little bit as we're almost finished exploring God's revelation to man. So on the board we've been talking lately about special revelation, which is God revealing Himself directly to man in certain ways. We've been noting several examples of special revelation, which is direct revelation from God to man. On the board on Sunday, we saw Deuteronomy 34.10. Since that time, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. That should be very encouraging to us, that God would even go face to face with any man be willing to be with intimately, personally, any man, any one of us. So when we see these things, they should be really encouraging. Turn to Exodus 3, verse 1, and let's see again God revealing himself to Moses through the burning bush. You can really never get tired of this passage, can you? These are the kind of things that just you can marvel at and you're like seeing how God used miracles and how personal God was to Exodus 3 1 now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro his father-in-law the priest of Midian and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb the mountain of God the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, (laughs) I wonder if he really said this in his head, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. So these are wonderful examples for us of God's love even, that He's willing to speak with men directly and also confirm His love for man with miracles done for man's benefit and man's salvation. We saw a neat example of God's protection on Sunday. Uh, Go to Exodus 14, verse 19. Exodus 14:19 This scene is really something to picture, especially if you saw the moon out there tonight, how how it was glowing over the horizon and kind of just imagine yourself there being one of the Jews while this is going on. Exodus 14:19 The angel of God who had been going before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. And there was the cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus, the one did not come near the other all night. Again, the scene is the Egyptians are chasing the Jews, right? In the desert, they're hunting them down. But because God stepped in between them, they wouldn't go near each other at night, especially with the light that came from the cloud. So here's, by the way, just a great example of God having the back of his followers, literally in this case. And I hope you all believe that God is doing these kinds of things in your life right now, even all the time. Just because you don't see them does not mean he's not doing these kind of things for you and I. Out of his great love and mercy and promises for his children, it's it's fun to think about. We should maybe take time to think about that when you go home and be like, "I wonder what situations he's been protecting me from." Or, what what situation was I in a jam, and then all of a sudden I wasn't in a jam? Uh, just when we get to heaven, we'll see all these things. But don't doubt that he's doing this same exact thing for you. Verse twenty-one. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, so the waters were divided. The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Then the Egyptians took up the pursuit, and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen went in after them into the midst of the sea. At the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. You don't think God can do this for you? He has done it for you. You may not have seen it. But He brings your enemies into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve, and He made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, Let us flee from Israel, for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots and their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal state at daybreak, while the Egyptians were fleeing right into it. Then the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them, Not even one of them remained. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So there again is more beautiful evidence of God's love for his children. And it's often revealed in special revelations like this, speaking with and supernaturally helping a man like Moses uh, for all of us to witness. And then turning your Bibles to Matthew three verse 16, we also saw God speaking with His own Son, Jesus Christ, but it wasn't for Jesus' benefit, but for the benefit of those listening. Matthew 3:16. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. I think Jesus already knew he was God's beloved Son. He's announcing God is to everyone there. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This type of special revelation should increase our faith and confidence in God and his plan for us through the God-man, Jesus Christ. Go to Matthew 17, 3. This is more special revelation. This is more God speaking directly to us, if you will, for our encouragement. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Makes you want to read his words more and more, doesn't it? Listen to him. Now, Jesus and the Father were tight. They were really tight. So tight, there was no need for encouragement within Jesus Christ. Think about that. There was no need for encouragement within Jesus' soul. He wasn't lacking any confidence in his Father at all. We don't know what that's like. Even between best of friends, we don't know what that's like. We have our insecurities. We need encouragement sometimes. Jesus had no insecurity with what his father thought about him and his faithfulness to him. He was perfect and perfectly knew and believed his father's love for him. So again, these things are written for our encouragement. He didn't need it. He knew. Go to John 12:28. John 12:28. One last example of this. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people stood by and heard it, were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. You can see how we need the Word of God in our souls for this encouragement, this um, confident faith God wants us to have for it to build. And God is so faithful, He's given us direct special revelation like this to ponder and even hang our hats on. So our greatest encouragement comes from the greatest special revelation that God has ever given to man, that is his very own son in the flesh for us all to see and experience, at least through eyewitnesses, in the Scriptures. And that's, this is uh, how God demonstrated his own love for us. He came down. He's like, let me show you what my love looks like. I'm going to live it out for you in so many ways. Just pay attention. Turn again to Hebrews 1, verse 1. This is where we closed on Sunday. Jesus is the greatest special revelation God's ever given us. Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he, Jesus, is the radiance of his glory. You notice it says he is the radiance of his glory. He's not like the radiance of God's glory. Jesus is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. So again in verse three, Jesus is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Jesus, being God in the flesh, has declared publicly, openly, the very character and nature of God to man. And out of his tremendous love for us, he gave us a perfect visual aid to be supremely encouraged by if we will listen, if we will take his words in fully. On the board, we saw this on Sunday, he's the exact representation of God's nature from the Greek character, means a tool for engraving, an exact reproduction or impression that also reflects inner character, where we get our English word character from. Now we know the Bible says God is spirit, in John four twenty four, But God's son took the form of a man to show us what he's like visually. I don't know about you, but I'm a pretty visual person. A visual aid is really helpful. And to see the things Jesus is doing in the Gospels, to see his healings, to see his love, to see his way with people, his peace, his mercy, is an illustration of God himself. May we never forget. As came out on Sunday, when Jesus spoke on the board, When Jesus spoke or acted or did anything, it was perfectly reflective of his Father in heaven. Not kind of, you know, not not just an example of. It was perfectly reflective of his Father in heaven. As Jesus said in John 14, 9b, He who has seen me has seen the Father. I was thinking at this point, it's interesting We have a certain fear of the unknown with God. If you're honest, you probably know what I'm talking about. A certain fear of the unknown with God himself. Why is that? And do you have the same fear of the unknown with Jesus? I don't. I'm more comfortable with him in my soul because he was a person like me. And I saw what he did. I saw how he treated people and all that. If so, if Jesus has shown us the exact nature of the Father, then why do we wonder or remain timid about God's love for us? Exact nature of the Father. So why are we timid at all about God's love for us? We're back to appreciating and relating to God through the person of Jesus Christ. what uh, is there a more uh, there's not a more value, valuable special revelation to us because it literally shows us god as jesus said again on the board he who has seen me has seen the father so jesus became a man so we could relate to god as a person and enjoy his mercy and love and peace through that visual aid So as we begin to close, let's look at Jesus' words on how much God, He, loves us. The same person, same nature. Go to Luke 12, verse 4. Luke 12, verse 4. God is trying to tell us how much he loves us. Through Jesus' mouth here, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. In other words, don't fear any men or what men can do to you because they can't permanently harm you they can't touch your soul but look at verse 6 right away are not five sparrows sold for two cents yet not one of them is forgotten before God indeed the very hairs of your head are all numbered do not fear you are more valuable than many sparrows This God, the one that can cast people into hell, that has that power, the one that you should rightly fear if you're an unbeliever? If you're a believer, you should have no fear of him. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. God himself is speaking to us. Right now, right, right there. He entered into a relatable form so we could... Be encouraged by his words. I don't even know how to say it. But maybe so that we would stop doubting God's love for us through his example. And he tells us do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. On the board, special revelation. It's good to hang on every word and activity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. After all, he is the perfect example of God's special revelation to mankind. We must humbly receive His words and actions as a direct example of God's character and nature. We must be willing to receive His words by faith, even though we don't understand them all. We must be willing. What is God after? Our hearts. He's after our willingness and our humility to follow Him in His words. He's not after our perfection. He's not after our ability to decipher everything in Scripture. He's after our willingness to follow. And when that's present in somebody's heart, the Spirit can reveal what He wants to reveal in the pieces He sees fit. Finally, on Sunday, we saw an example of the lengths to which God will go to speak to us and to demonstrate His love for us. Turn to Luke nineteen thirty-seven. Some more special revelation here. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen. Shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. By the way, some of us might need to change our perspective. When Jesus speaks, God is speaking. Just think about that. When Jesus speaks, God is speaking. And that's how we know the Father. And His person is one we can fully trust because in John 1, He's full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. He's not almost full. Like there's nothing missing. He's full of grace and truth. So in Luke 19.40, when Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent... The stones will cry out. As we saw on Sunday, not only was Jesus telling the truth here, but he was prophesying. As days later, days after he said this to the Pharisees, at his crucifixion, the rocks actually split in half as a testimony to him. So let's see that as we close in Matthew 27:50. more special revelation, which includes the supernatural. Thank God. Matthew 27, 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. God loves demonstrating his love to us. And he's done so in so many ways. And the greatest way is through his son, the son himself. So may we have more and more faith in his tremendous love for us. May we be more and more encouraged by the person of Jesus Christ, the special revelation, the word alive in the flesh so that we believe all that God has done for us. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much for your word and your grace and your mercy and your patience with us. We ask that you increase our faith, especially our faith in your love, so that we can have the power to love others and even love our enemies to your glory. Help us forget about ourselves, Father, forget about how we look or our pride. We ask that you strike those things down in our hearts and help us just live and exist and stay in the sphere of your love. We thank you in advance, Father, for answering our prayers and being patient with us. We ask these things in Christ's precious name and it's by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen. Amen.